guess that I guess that's a good point to start on actually like um so you you obviously come from like a a very traditional 2D animation background um and I guess you're moving a little bit more into the digital realm now <laughs> very slowly yeah <laughs> I'm I'm a, I am your archetypal old fart well, yeah, I don't know, using TV paint and stuff now. I, I know. No, I, I finally sort of succumbed to the dark side, as I joked, but I'm actually really enjoying it. Yeah. I, I, I'm convinced I'm the last person in... You might have to move I'm, I'm convinced I'm the last person in London to actually be using TV paint or to have started to use TV paint. Right. I don't think it's that... I don't, I don't know how common, like, people using TV paint is. I still feel like... I don't know how common people doing 2D animation is. Yeah, I suppose. But I think most like digital like animation is done on Flash and stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, how are you finding? The well, you're you're talking to a guy who can't use Photoshop. Right. I can barely attach something to an email. I mean, I'm useless. I used to say the most complex thing, you know, I could operate was the electric pencil sharpener <laughs> and maybe the kettle in the kitchen. Yeah. But um, and I was weirdly kind of, I can't say I was really resistant. Maybe I was resistant a bit to to going digital. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing was that because I've been trained, uh, you know, to work with pencil and paper, um, the, when everyone started changing over, I just, weirdly, I got more and more jobs because, oh, yeah, because yeah. everyone else was running off to sort of do other things, do yeah, 3D yeah. or whatever it was. Uh, and, then the, and then, you know, flash or whatever, and I couldn't operate these things. I was one of the few remaining people around yeah. that drew on paper. Right. And so in an odd way, although there probably were less jobs, a, a lot of them came my way. Your stocks went up yeah. sort of thing. So it, it made it even more difficult to, to change. There's no reason It's like I had work coming at me all the time, you know. Yeah. I mean, very luckily. We, we were just talking about how weirdly The Last Bell, your short film, mm. is actually about online dating, kind yes. of. Which was because it was actually it was made quite a long time before it got released. Yeah, but then it was sure. weirdly relevant when it came out. Yeah, because that was like I suppose recently. 2000 was it 2011? It, it 2011 was, it came out. Yeah, and so it, that was like the boom of Tinder and all those kind of like dating service kind of things really taking off. And it it was yeah surprisingly for something that was conceived. What, when was it? It took a, a ridiculous fifteen years to right, make okay. very off and on. Yeah, but that's when I so like started late, on the late nineties yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And and how was on online? Like, where was online dating at in the nineties? Was there I guess it had just begun, and I was aware right. of it. I mean, it's not anything I'd ever done, but um, I was aware of it. But maybe this sort of slight suspicion of technology that I have sometimes came out in that script in that way. Oh, right. It's not so much a suspicion of technology, but I have a very uncomfortable relationship with the inanimate world. Right. So doors and cars <laughs> and anything like that, right. you know, I have a bad time with. Uh, it's right. getting better. But to right. be honest, I think like most, I'd trade my Photoshop skills for your animation on paper skills. Oh, you know, it's you. not like a, a... Yeah, Diamond Dozen now, people who can use Photoshop. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But uh, it did get kind of pathetic because whenever some producer would say, you know, draw this and all, can you just paste that together and we'll send it to the agency, you know, and you've always got four minutes to do that. And I go, oh, I can't, I don't know how to do it, you know. <laughs> and then they'd have to get someone else into it. And it, it was ridiculous. It was like Granddad that couldn't operate the TV remote control, you know, it was a right. bit embarrassing. But so. it, it is quite good sometimes to not be able to do stuff because that means you Which don't get lazy. asked to do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yeah, but that's true. Um, yeah. So now you're converted, are you going to have a word with uh, Richard Williams and get him on the old uh, Cintiq? I don't think... I, I think he's at a funny stage where he's done 
so much work and achieved so much and trained so many people and what has he done? Won three Oscars and just been yeah. nominated for a fourth and so on. I think he's just at that point where he goes, sod it, you know, I just want to do what mm. I want to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's not, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not um, got any commercial imperative on him anymore. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's just doing what he loves doing until he drops, you know, as, as he jokes about it all the time. He's just going to, he's just going to keel over one day <laughs> yeah. in mid drawing. I guess when you get close to the end of your life, you've just got less time to pick up skills that might take several years to learn I guess right could be and he's just he's just very 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 good at what he does and probably mm. the best in the world so kind of why change mm. you know we all have to change because we all have to earn money doing it mm. so clients come in and, and say you know we want something done with this new technique or whatever it is so we have to be on the ball a bit but he's doing his film his way it's you know his way of telling the story he doesn't care anymore he's just doing what he wants to do which is fantastic you know mm. hopefully we all yeah. We'll reach that point no, we can true. do that yeah it does seem nice with animation that people seem to be able to keep going for quite a long time mm. not like you know some jobs I don't know uh, if you're a football player or something like that obviously your mm. shelf life's quite short but yeah well it's because we're so badly paid <laughs> and none of us have pensions <laughs> so we all have to work until we die basically <laughs> I'm sure there's some people <laughs> Disney's got pensions uh, yeah uh, so the last bell, um, you you conceived that that would have been like seventeen years ago, or you at least started on it seventeen years ago. That came out in two thousand eleven, and I started it fifteen. Oh right, sorry, ninety six. Ninety six. I'll tell you what. I, I was I was I had my own studio then. I ran my own studio then, which I had done for about ten years with partners, and uh, we'd been on a particularly stressful job which I won't name but anyway big Hollywood number and um, I it was just one of those things where I there was one day I remember where I left the studio and I had 196 pages of facts this is just pre-email right 196 pages of facts from this Hollywood company asking me and my production staff what we would be achieving that week and essentially what we would achieve that week was filling in 196 pages of their faxes, you know, because mm -hmm. we couldn't do the damn work with so much yeah. paper. Mm. Um, it sounds weird, weird to sort of talk about faxes now, but this was just, email was coming in, but it wasn't, you know, yeah. quite as it is now. So um, you used to feed. <laughs> we used to have this routine because of the time difference between us and Los Angeles. And if there was a particular bit of bad news, sort of telling them you're only going to do 20 background paintings and not the 30, they thought you were... We used to sort of fill this thing out and, f and feed the, the paper into the fax machine. Yeah. And then um, I'd be there with one of the guys looking up and say, okay, you ready to go, ready to go? They'd dial the number, you know, listen, and go, and do all these noises. And then your paper would start going, and it would go in. Now, occasionally it would jam or tear, so you had to make sure it was at least kind of 60% of the way through. And then when the paper went, like 60% of the way through, we go, run! And we kind of run for the door and turn on the alarm. <laughs> you know? And then as the news arrived in Los Angeles, our phones would go, you know, they'd all start ringing. We'd go, tough, we're not... And then we'd all run away. Because I didn't have a mobile phone either then. So right, right, but anyway, long-winded way of saying that it was, it was kind of stressful because I was semi-producer a there as well and I wasn't doing much drawing. Right. So I just thought, what is... I, I have to let off some steam. Um... Which is why the last bell is such a kind of child, childish, silly, 
cartoon fun thing with no artistic aspirations at all. I mean, no, it was just... What do you mean? I mean, in terms of its content? I mean, it wasn't ever meant to be meaningful or right, right. anything. It was just purely for me to have fun. Mm. However, you know, uh, on the way it got slightly out of control and <laughs> became, <laughs> became a slightly longer film. Right. Uh, what I was did, it in, uh, originally meant to be? I, I always wanted to make a seven-minute film because I thought that was the traditional length because I was kind of playing around with the idea of... I used to say this is like a Tom and Jerry uh, cartoon but set in modern-day London. Right. So that was, those were the two things I was trying to pull together. Yeah. So a slapstick thing, you know, that looked like a kind of almost 40s Hollywood cell animated thing and um sorry what were you i forgot what no um what the original length was oh yeah sorry yeah, no, no, i go off into a reverie there uh-huh. um the original length so i was aiming for a seven minute thing which is the standard length of you know donald ducks or yeah, Tom yeah. Jones or something and wrote a script and the script came out at 17 pages so i got a friend of mine in jim mcguire and said, I can't get this thing to work. And we started to bat around ideas. Mm. So we tore out the whole middle section, kept the front, kept the end. Uh, and then we rewrote it, and we came up with a whole bunch of new ideas and said, this is great. And then when we added it all up, it was 17 pages again, <laughs> but, 17, <laughs> but 70 pages of different ideas. And I went, right. oh, for Christ's sakes. And however we tried to yeah. change it, it just wanted to be that length. Right. So similar to what we were saying about Dick earlier, I kind of thought, screw it. I'm not doing this for a commercial reason. I'm paying for it. Mm. It's, I know it's self-indulgent, but tough. Like it's going to be a 20-minute yeah. film then. And working with that scriptwriter friend of yours, was he um, somebody who knew about animation? Was he coming up with visual gags? Because quite a lot of it is visual. No, no, no funny. Jim was um, a friend of mine from working on Thief and the Coppola. And Jim was a librarian on that production. So he kind of knew where all the artwork was and oh, okay. could get boxes out. But I just, as you do, got chatting to him in the pub. And he's not necessarily a really a filmy person but he's just full of ideas so what I would if I ever got stuck or when I got stuck on the film I'd say okay we've got this situation what could happen now and he could go well this would happen or that could happen or that because he's got this kind of amazing brain for just throwing stuff out mm. and absolute tribute to him I'm not being but you know lots of them lots of ideas wouldn't work but lot, but lots of them would he just threw ideas I couldn't believe right. how quickly he could think mm. which I'm, I'm quite a slow thinker you know so I'd so we worked very well together. So he just threw out ideas and then I'd structure it a bit and throw it back. And finally we did this rewrite. So we had the script locked before we started. Oh, right. So before you started boarding anything or anything? I didn't really board. Oh, really? Whoa. Slapped wrist. <laughs> I didn't board because... At the not one bit of the film is boarded. Mm, I bought, well, what I would do is when I came to... I knew the length of the sequences because of the script, because you've got a time script. But what worried me was that if I boarded everything... And I knew this thing would take me years because I didn't have any money to make it. Mm. Then I would be bored uh, um, animating it because all the creative decisions have been made, and all I'm doing is just animating. Yeah. So I had some sort of rules for the structure of it, and like I say, I had the script, and I didn't I didn't allow myself to go over length on the sequences. But how I actually achieved those sequences, I didn't think about until I got to the sequence, and then when I was ready to start a new sequence, I'd thumbnail it out and figure something out. Right work out the layouts and then animate that sequence and then move on and start again for the next one. Right, wow. And you, so you worked, did, did the, you'd just go from the start to the end, that way it was sort of, you weren't... No, it's a bit out of order. Right, Because okay. of, of more rewrites and so on. I started with the drunken lout <laughs> and said, hey, wouldn't it be a funny idea if he had a Bermuda shirt and we animated that in perspective, which was amusing for about <laughs> two weeks. 
And then about seven years later, I was going, oh, God, I Jesus can't take man. this anymore. But you, know? you must have known what you're getting yourself in for. With well, that. I'm kind of slow learner, you know. Um, <laughs> I just thought it would look nice. Um, and funnily enough, I was, it was driving me crazy because all, all the shirt pattern was hand-traced. So the ink line was photocopied onto cell. But, right. the, but the actual pattern, uh, which we were you know, able to hand animate, rotating in space and so on. Um, was done in blue colour A, so it didn't photocopy. Right. And then the cell was put over the drawing, and then those were all hand-traced, mostly by Sam Spacey, who's a brilliant, brilliant tracer. She's fantastic. Um, so they were, that was painted directly onto the cell? So the, the trace line for the, for the pattern, so it didn't yeah. have a black line, was, was done in blue ink. Right. But then, obviously, all the cells are painted on the reverse side. Right. But it drove me crazy. It drove everyone crazy. So... Roy Naisbitt, who worked on the film, doing those amazing um, yeah. swirly background mm. uh, things on the underground sequence, said, you know what you should do? He said he should get his shirt caught in the train and it just rips oh, off and, and then we don't have to, you know. <laughs> and I went, hey, bing! Yeah. Great ideas born in a pub. So that's exactly what we did. So I figured out a way of doing that and boarded that out and we animated that and got um, rid of the damn <laughs> shirt. God. That's a great idea. I was going to ask about um, working with uh, Roy. Mm. I just don't understand how he does those kind of layouts, and I just wondered, like, how much of what's the process you that you would have worked with him to work out that sequence? Well, oddly, one of the main reasons, apart from being driven crazy by this particular Hollywood production, that I chose this story was that I'd known Roy a long time since I worked at the Richard Williams studio. And I'd worked on his layouts. I'd worked on some of his layouts in the maroon cartoon at the beginning of Roger Rabbit. Oh, okay. But by the time I was working on them, he'd done them. They were on my desk and I was working over them. Yeah. So I'd, I could, you know, I kind of say, but Roy, how that, this is amazing. You know, how did you come up with this? Yeah. And he'd go, because he's such a modest guy, and he'd go, oh, I don't know, I just did something, you know, and kind of wonder, and then change the subject. And I'm going, but, and it drove me crazy for years. And the same on The Thief. Then I went to work on The Thief and he presented me with a layout and I go again, how do you do this? And I couldn't, you know, drove me mental trying to figure out how he works. So I thought the only way I'm going to know is to direct him, is to get him on a, <laughs> on a film and learn off him <laughs> like a sponge, suck, suck the knowledge off him. Um, so that's part of the reason right. this film grew out around that, that sequence partly. So the process was, you know, I went along and I had a brief which was that this shot has to last one minute. You have mm. to start at the looking up some stairs in front of St. Paul's, um, and we have to end up that the guy hits a pillar down in front of the train. Um, it all has to be done as a flat piece of artwork, so no real three-dimensional camera cranes or mm. hand-drawn or by computer, yeah. you know. <clears throat> um, and I said, the first thing I want is that when he's at the top of the stairs... He's got a drop like you, like when you step out of a plane doing a parachute. Yeah, so yeah. Right down, um, drop, and then I immediately want you to do some kind of rotate where the audience is, audience loses sense of which direction they're going in. Yeah. If you start that way and we end with him hitting a pillar, as far as I'm concerned, whatever you want to do in between that, it's fine by me. You know, and, and remember he can come. I also wanted to break the screen direction, so if he goes out screen right, he can come in screen left, okay. or, or from the top or whatever. So that was it. So Roy went out uh, with a camera. He photographed immense amounts of research, which is how he's been trained to work. Oh, right, okay. He went through London Underground. He picked interesting stations, Highgate, uh, Earl's Court, and so on. He even took a video camera, actually, and 
walked down the tunnels and waved it around and to see what might happen, you know. Um, and then he, you know, we talked through it some more, and he got this amazing, uh, really cheap paper, but just like wallpaper. Yeah. And he would spread it out on the floor and go, okay, so you, so you want him to start, so there's like a drop, there's a drop, and I go, yeah, yeah, a drop right down. He go, okay, and he'd have a great chunk of charcoal, and he'd go, shoo, shoo, you know, down the paper, and he's walking along this paper. I'm talking about something that's 12 right. feet long or something. And then he'd go, okay, okay, and then, and then we're going to go around the corner here, and he goes, shh, and all he's doing is drawing uh, forms, shapes. There's right. no architectures, no steps. It's just like curves and yeah, switches yeah. and so on. And then I kind of look at it and go, oh, I don't know, it'd be nice if he dropped further. And he went, fine, okay, and he'd get the paper and go, shh, and just rip it up and get a whole new section in, and he'd sellotape it in, it's all fingerprints. So it was very, very rough, like sculpture. Yeah, yeah. It was like sculpture more than drawing. And then he'd draw in some more lines and so on. And then... I'd go away and leave him in peace and he'd draw it up a little bit more but then we'd stick it under the video camera right? and he'd work out some kind of camera move and we'd very crudely shoot it frame at a time on those old EOS machines right? anyone of my age listening to this will know what that is but it was a very long-winded and painful way of shooting line tests on video right? Um, you know to get a feel of it and bit by bit you know we'd make more changes and he'd add more and more detail each time until he had the final ridiculously intricate checkerboard layout very very sculptural though that was what was amazing about it but how do you work out like because the, the speed of the camera move would dictate how long that part of the drawing needs to be right so would you pre-work out like a camera move like would you almost like test move a camera across it to see the speed so you know how long it would kind need to of be? i mean it, one thing he also liked to do was once we had this roll of wallpaper if you like stretched out on the floor he would walk along it with me, um, and this is a hard thing to do with audio, but he'd put his hands together to make the kind of rectangle shape, you know, the screen shape. Oh, right. And then he'd just walk. If you imagine him bent over now looking down, he'd walk, <laughs> and then if it rotated, he'd sort of walk a little, rotate along as he walked, and he would just kind of feel it by eye just walking along it. It's insane. No, it's mentally, he's an yeah. absolute genius. I mean, he's, yeah. he's totally one of a kind. Yeah, I've never seen it, ever any other kind of layout or camera move in a in any kind of film really that's like that and yeah. the only examples I can think of are things in that he's done you know the Roger Rabbit yeah. the, uh, Thief and the Cobra and your film you, you must feel proud to have that section I'm totally proud I mean it's it's gosh I feel so privileged to have watched a, a master at work yeah <laughs> you know, but like it a, is totally. I mean he's like a cinema I mean he is a cinematographer from yeah. the, what he's doing with production that designer cinematographer animator yeah Oh, does he animate great, as well? Uh, yeah, he, he would say he doesn't do character, which he's not that comfortable, but he can do technical. Right. He actually came into Richard Williams' studio, I think, animating Cogs for um, uh, Charge of the Light Brigade. Oh, okay. those oh so he does, are, like, objects big, and yeah, stuff. Big steamer, he figured out how all that animated, you know, wow. in, in 2D. But right. Amazing guy. Yeah. And then how do you go about animating over the top of that? I'd yeah, that, well, that's, well, you have a. This is really interesting because you have to make it look like the character is motivating the, the camera. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, obviously, there's no sense of him falling out of control. So, what he did was okay, you've got his layout, and then on, a, on a, an equally long but separate sheet of paper, he would draw a curvy line which is with, with increments marked on it, which would be the, the lens centre for each frame. Right. 
and then every so often, maybe every 10th or 12th frame, he'd draw a box, rectangle, I mean, um, shape on the layout to show you know wh where the screen was, which is what the cameraman, John Leatherborough, needed to shoot it as well, because that's right. giving him the camera instructions. So looking at that, I would then figure out, okay, well, if the lens center is there on frame 12, then my character needs to be a couple of inches ahead of it. Right. right, because the cameraman is trying to keep up with the character. Yeah. So I've got to make it look like my character's leading the camera move. Right. So it meant I'm constantly having to think ahead where my character's going to be. Right. So the camera's slightly trailing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a... <laughs> it was a bit of a weird one, actually. I'm not entirely sure how we did it at all, but yeah. we did it. <laughs> but even, like, it's the character's perspective and, and you know, because it's... This fo the form and everything yeah. is flawless in it and have, it, is that just like mileage of doing that stuff kinda, for years it, it or? probably isn't that perfect to be honest I mean as any animator knowing uh, any animator listening will know the, the fast actions are kind of easy right really and it's the slow actions it's, it's the opposite of what people who aren't in animation think that yeah. slow actions are really easy but slow action is where you can see if your forms are wobbly or your nose isn't attached to your face properly as you turn or something yeah. Fast action, as long as you get the broad action right, um, you're kind of all right. So the only real pain in the backside on that was he still had his shirt on <laughs> right, yeah. uh, during that sequence. So each, you know, he's constantly rotating and bouncing around so much. Meant yeah. that every single flower and leaf and everything all has to rotate around his body. And perspective. was like, oh, God, why did I do this? Bear in mind, was a project I set up as light relief. <laughs> from, from. <laughs> so I don't know what kind of perverse problems I have with my brain but anyway yeah I think that's just the story of every an animated short film ever you you know we've all done it yeah. I mean not it didn't take well, 15 years or whatever but like it's always been three times the length you, you think it's going to take to yeah to make I do yeah. feel like people who started in the era with pencils and paper had a slightly more I don't know, masochism about them, or like yeah. <laughs> grit and determination, however you want to put it. But like, just weird people. It's <laughs> weird. Because <laughs> we talked to Peter Dodd, he uh, and he he spent maybe not quite as long as you, but he spent a very long time making short film. Yeah, twelve uh, twelve years, I think he was. Yeah, the Peter the Peter story is great. Peter, I I love Peter's pieces, and he's one of my best friends, and I love working with him. And um, and sometimes I've been directing him, and sometimes he's directing me. And I say, Peter, can you help me with this drawing? And sometimes I do have done things for him. So we have a very egoless, yeah. you know, friendship. I mean, it's really lovely to have, to have that with someone. I totally respect his work; it's brilliant. But um, when we first met, I, I didn't. I knew his name, but I hadn't met him until Snowman and Snowdog. And I think I just got chatting to him in the kitchen, and he, he was talking about something or other. I can't even tell you now what it was, but I said, oh, God, yeah, I had exactly the same experience. And then he told another story, and I said, I had the, exactly the same experience in that <laughs> as well. And then we started ticking things off, and then he started saying, well, you, I tell you what, you won't beat this, I don't drive. And I said, I don't drive. <laughs> he went, really? This is mad. And he goes, okay, get a load of this. I made my own film, and it took me 12 years, and I went, 15. <laughs> like, oh, my God. You know, it began to feel like we were some kind of genetic experiment that had been, that had been separated at birth or something. Possible. So, um, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> that sealed our friendship. So, the, but the last bell, mm. that was all done on cell, right? All, all uh, done on cell and shot on film. Right. 
I yeah. can't believe that. We, we were <laughs> honest. No, I, no, I believe it, but I mean, I can't believe you did that. We were doing, we made a project where we had to produce like a fake cell to pretend mm. that the, this project we made was done on cells yeah. and we had to do one and it took two of us two days to get one that was okay looking and even then it wasn't perfect i don't know i i I had a brilliant cameraman john leatherborough who shot headed up the camera department on thief of the cobbler and roger rabbit so Mm -hmm. he did all the lighting effects so what makes it even crazier from certainly from his point of view was that most of the shots there have had to be shot repeatedly so that it's the negative being re-exposed. So right. we'd shoot one pass. So let's say you've got the guy bouncing around on the night sky and you've got a bridge lit up and you've got stars in the sky and all this kind of thing. Well, as he is coming closer to Cameron going away, we would change the exposure on him, but we'd also change the gelling on him. So you might shoot him against black with blue on it and then mix the blue off and then re-expose it and mix the white light off so he's coming into the light and going off. Oh my Next, you need a series of mats to expose in the stars and any camera move you're doing has to be repeated exactly each time. And then you go back and you burn in all the bridge stars and, the, and, and everything else with all the mats holding them out as well so the things that are passing in front of them. So quite often he would do, for something that's on screen for 10 seconds, he shot it four or five times. Any time you screw up, you make a mistake, or put a drawing out of order, that has ruined the shot. It's just totally, you know, you have to start again. So even if you're on your last frame of the last level, you've screwed the shot. Did that happen? John is amazing, so very rare. So if he did, he didn't tell me, but very, very rarely. I mean, right. I saw all the rushes, and he's, yeah. it's so rare he would make a mistake. Right. We had a very weird situation where we were using quite an old camera towards the end, because the cameras were disappearing and I didn't think I was going to be able to finish the damn film yeah. you know and I didn't think we could match the look digitally so we needed to finish on film yeah and we'd had a rostrum at the company but we shut the company down and had to get rid of it so we had this rostrum in in East London which was great but quite an old rostrum and uh, it had a very old computer attached to it for doing fairly straightforward camera moves and it was a giant it was like a throbbing yeah. howl sort of out of 2001 <laughs> giant thing the size of a fridge that you know that had less power than your wristwatch, well by today's standards. But anyway, yeah. but there's a shot at the end of the film where Rosie and the barman come together in silhouette, and she eventually kind of jumps on him. But there's a very slow camera creep on that, and in order to do that, John shot the scene once with blacked out windows and everything gelled for blue, so for the night sky for the window, and then he went back and shot the um actually i don't know which order he did but anyway he shot the the characters and they were slightly backlit and with a slight diffuse um filter over it to give them a glow and so on so it's quite a long shoot and he was getting to the last few seconds of a very very you know tiny incremental camera move and for no reason the computer just went berserk and just went like that and the table kind of flew off in one direction the camera shot up into the ceiling and rotated or so you know it all it all just went haywire for no reason i mean just didn't know why and he went oh christ you know he's so close to finishing the shot so he decided to try and reset everything on that frame number and figuring it would probably not work got everything back and shot the thing we put it into rushes waited anxiously overnight looked at it it's perfect it's in the movie wow wow he, he just got it all lined up again and there is 
apparently, you know, if you look at it, there's no floor in it. Wow, that's amazing. But it's a pretty stressy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty yeah, stressy scenario. Sounds almost impossible yeah. to do that. It sounds like it, it's impossible to wing it with anything, um, sort of back then. Like when you were doing that stuff. Like yeah. now, I think people can do something, look at it, they can be like, eh, maybe do it a bit differently, yeah. do it again, do it a bit differently. But it's like it feels like there's almost no time to learn on the job. Like you just have to get everything right the first time. I think time. the difference was that in the traditional world, and I've noticed this because I've now had a foot in both camps or both periods in history, um, that you had to pre-plan more. Um, so you're right, you couldn't wing things at the end. But there are pros and cons. I mean, like everything, I, I think there's good and bad to it. With the modern technology, if you're making your own film, for sure, I don't think it's ever been a better time mm. for animation. I think the quality of films is better now and more interesting and more slick in the best sense of the word. I mean, the technology is, is amazing when you're doing your own film because you can change everything up until the last minute. But mm. the downside of technology is you can change everything up until the last minute. And if you're working with an advertising agency that's nervous, like they usually all are, mm. you are going to be sitting there at three o'clock in the morning on your final night while they're going, oh, can we change that guy's hair or whatever? And just, if you can make changes, you will. Yeah, yeah. And so commercially, I find it a nightmare because nobody ever makes a decision. Mm. And if they do make a decision they're probably going to change their minds anyway. Mm. And I don't know how you guys have found it, but quite often you start off on a job and it's looking good and then bit by bit by bit it gets screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the end you have this kind of half-assed thing that nobody really likes. Yeah, yeah. And that's because the technology means that everyone can change everything up until the last minute. Yeah. And often, I hate to say it, but people that don't necessarily have any particularly artistic vision. Um, but if you're making your own film, fantastic. Yeah. Because you know what you want to do and you can use it. It's mm. a power for good. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, it's true. So it's a double-edged sword, really. Yeah, that is... Uh, I'm sure anyone listening who's worked in advertising will vouch for yeah. exactly what you're saying. Um, one thing I was going to ask, what, when was the last, um, like, piece of work done on the film? Like, that camera movie you were just talking about, was that something that would have been done in, you know right before it's finished or yeah right at the last minute <sighs> yeah we, we had a big big shoot um, the way it worked was most of the slapstick and the drunken guy and all that stuff was sh- done first because I figured that would be the most difficult and the bloody Bermuda shirt and all that um, and then I left the dialogue till last and I had recorded it the dialogue but because um, it was more performance stuff, I just wanted to feel up to speed on that. So most of the barroom stuff was done last. If you, I mean, it's quite a lot of footage, but that was the second phase of the film. Um, and then we just sort of ploughed through those things. So all those were shot pretty much in a batch. Right. I mean, it was a huge shoot. It took weeks and weeks and weeks, but, but John shot all Oh, so stuff. you started shooting um, the, all the cells, like, right before... Like, you shot it all in one sort of go. Or did for, you shoot for most stuff of the like barroom stuff, but, but all that was, you know, it amounted to five or six minutes of footage or whatever it is, and, and he shot all that. But the rest of the film was shot just whenever we had a bit oh, of time. Right. I mean, it was all, all over the place. All the way up to 2011. All the way up, yeah. And, and the weird thing was we, we started getting the film together, and then, I can't remember how, but somebody saw it, and they said, we really like this. Um, we still hadn't scored it, in fact, to him, put the music on. They said, we'd like to put it in the London Film Festival. 
So then all of a sudden we had a deadline. A deadline and no money. The worst, the worst combination. Yeah. <laughs> we all have a deadline if there's money. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but anyway, everyone pulled the stops out and we managed to get the thing done. Yeah. Wet from the lab kind of thing. I've got to tell you one thing which loads of people don't know and that I've never publicly said before because I didn't want to get into a fight. But um, I have to tell you this story. When we'd finished shooting the last batch... Yeah. Um, we, we had been shooting, we'd started off with one lab and it got bought up by another large American lab who shall remain nameless, mm-hmm. but they did invent Joseph's rather amazing <laughs> dream coat. <laughs> and um, what they did was when, when we had shot all our new stuff, um, I think with Deluxe, who were fantastic, we went back to said large American lab and said, okay, we're ready to negative cut now and song, you know, I need the negative back and we need it back tomorrow. And they said, they phoned me back and said, you can't have it tomorrow. And I said, right, I kind of really need it. And they went, we can't have it because it's in Rome. What? And I went, yeah, exactly. I used the swear word, not just the right one. I said, what's it doing in Rome? And they went, well, that's where we store stuff now. And I went, okay, but I kind of need it back. So they said, well, you can have it back, but that'll cost you 400 quid. And I went, well, I didn't ask for it to go to Rome, and I haven't got any money. Why should I pay 400 quid for it to be? And they go, it's just the way it is, and da-da-da-da. And essentially, I was sort of you know, held to ransom, and I needed the negative to finish the film. So I said, okay, so I paid the money up, went up to dispatch the next day or the day after to pick this thing up, and there were two cans of film. And I say there should be like 14 cans of film. And they went, really? We that's all we've got on record. So they go, well, maybe it isn't in Rome. Maybe it's somewhere else. And so anyway, this whole thing, I cut a long story short, they lost the negative. Fucking hell. So after 15 years' work, they had lost 60% of the negative to the film. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was not happy. <laughs> and I contemplated throwing myself under a train for a little while. Uh, so I just kind of went mad and I said, you've got to, you know, please, can you go through your archives, whatever. And anyway, they computerized their system. Somebody hadn't put a barcode on something or written it down. And to this day, I've never had the negative. But what I had was a standard definition, not HD, digital copy of ungraded rushes. And we put the film together with that. Wow. And I went to Deluxe, who I love, Anyone listening to this, do not confuse Deluxe with the wankers that lost my... Deluxe were fantastic. Um, Martin Bullard, um, Toby Glover there. And I told them the problem. They had their head in their hands. I said, what can you do? And they came up with all sorts of algorithms and so on and cleaned up this footage, which isn't even in HD, and then took the film footage and got everything to a level where it's presentable. And luckily, because it's a graphic style. Yeah, If yeah. it had been live action, you probably would have noticed. Yeah. And then one of them, I think Toby said at Deluxe, he said, you, know, you just put a big, he says, put a big soundtrack on it and it'll make the film big. Nobody will notice, you know. <laughs> so we did the credits, uh, HD. Uh, my friend Kirk Hendry put those together. So the credits all crisp and the music's amazing by Stuart Hancock and the Bratislava Symphony Orchestra and fantastic sound mix by Art for Noise, big sound and so on. And, nobody ever noticed no you wouldn't no I must admit like I had heard as a, like a rumour about something like that happening but I didn't know the full story but yeah. um, I was watching it again I really don't know where 
where that's um, where where you know cause it does look like film. It's an amazing job they've done. Yeah, yeah no, they're incredible. I mean, so, thank I you, Deluxe. I love you. Did they it would have been fifteen years of my life down the toilet. Mm. And you can't. There's no. You can't sue them for that. Or no. There's a thing in the contract with Labs that says if if they lose anything tough and they will replace. Uh, said a company said that they would offer me the the amount of footage of film they'd lost. They'd replace it in raw for film. And I'm going. I'm going. This is my last. You know. This is the last time I'm going to work on. Film. I don't want any film. <laughs> so <laughs> think, thanks, but no thanks. Oh my god! So yeah, a little bit stressful ending, but it all ended happily. Oh dear. Well, well, well done. I'm glad it all yeah, yeah. came out in the wash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I remember that... hearing, I remember you telling me that story when we yeah. worked together a little while yeah. ago, and then I never knew the resolution of that until yeah. now. Um, I mean, I mean, when the film came up, I was like, oh, you must have just gone and reshot. You I mean you must have found the cells and reshot it I all could or something? Never have reshot. I mean, it was and John Latherbury who shot it did so many lighting tricks stuff he developed for Roger Rabbit and the Thief um, like when the guy gets electrocuted falls off the front of the train there are all these, these flashing frames and I'd said to John you know I don't really want to do artwork or anything cartoony can you do something so he went yeah okay leave it with me you know and he went off into the dark room um, to do his wizardry and if you frame through that stuff he did crazy thing he reflected light off scrunched up cling film he put an angle poise at a really oblique angle to the artwork and put um, things in front of it so that you get bars of light going over the artwork. He did weird exposure things. So right. just made it up as he went along. And, and right. he said, pick whichever frames you want and we'll neg cut it you know, at the end. And I said, oh, I like them all. I didn't right. touch it. So we just put the whole, right. as it flickers, put the whole thing in it. Right, but he'd done so many things like that that were uh, off the cuff that I thought you just can't, even if we had the artwork and had the money to sit there and reshoot it for the next four years or whatever, we couldn't have reproduced some of those effects. Right. God. It's <laughs> cut those motherfuckers, man. So nobody back in those days had like a backup or had like another negative made or well, something like that? In fairness, probably, you should, on a professional film, you should right. have some kind of dupe neg. Okay, but it right. costs money, which yeah. I didn't have. And what I repeatedly did with them was say you've got this stuff, haven't you? And, you know, when, I sh when I'd shoot another batch a year or two years later, because there were periods in this film where we didn't do anything for two years. I'm saying it's 15 years, but there's like mm. two-year chunks. We didn't do anything because mm. I was working, and it all just sat in boxes. And then I'd get to work on it for another few months. Yeah. So when we did that, I'd go back to the original labs and say, okay, we're going to shoot some more. Can you add it to the... Oh, yeah, yeah, mate, it's all right. It's all here, you know. So I was always mm. happy mm. that it was being looked after. Yeah. <laughs> God, imagine it's just sitting somewhere, uh, like in like in that storeroom at the end of Raiders, like where they yeah. go and put the ark somewhere. Yeah. It's, just it's like, there somewhere, it's probably you know. next to it. Yeah, it'll be or it'll be propping open a toilet somewhere, you oh, know, in God. the down in some cellar. Yeah, and when you open the box, Neil's face is gonna melt. Just you, thinking, do you like, think someone will find it before I die? I think a cooler story would be like. 50 years from now, or like 100 years from now, like it, it, someone will find it and. <laughs> like restore this thing that had never been seen before and that'd be wicked that'd be amazing <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. the redux you yeah um, it'd be cool to actually like start to I don't know if you had any question, more questions off the back of that but like to talk about like your heritage like where how you mm. learn because it's pretty from what I've kind of gleaned there's not much we, we're doing research there's not much 
info about you online or I anything. Mean, invisible. Goes, yeah. But what <laughs> I have gleaned, like, is uh, pretty fascinating. So, like, you you left school to go and work at Richard Williams' studios. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. With James Baxter. With James Baxter, yeah. Right. Well, there's... I was, I was at um, what was then called West Surrey College of Art and Design, and it was terrible. And I, and I say this, I have no connection with the college now. It's yeah. got a different name and different people running it, so not to denigrate what's there now, but when I was there... What's it called now? I have no idea. Right, right. Surrey uh, Institute. Farnham, yeah, Surrey Institute. Oh, is that Farnham? Farnham? Yeah. Right, okay. We used to call it the Farnham University of Cinematic Knowledge. Work out that acronym. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, um, it was a disaster at the period that we were there. It was just a nightmare. So it was a three-year degree. It was the only degree course at the time. Yeah. And rather than actually learning anything or having anyone there to who actually knew anything to teach you, you used to get given books. One of them, I seriously, was called Imperialism in Donald Duck cartoons. <laughs> you know, you just you put your head in your hands and go, what am I doing? And um, it's very pseudo-intellectual, pseudo-Marxist, navel-gazing artsy farts there was no teaching I went there to try and learn to animate and it was I might as well have been you know working in Sainsbury stacking shelves or something so um, so I met up with James which is a great thing and other friends I've, I've kept since you know and we both were very um, I love that sound the sound of beer over yeah yeah mm. sorry uh, no no good it's it. nice it adds a bit of authenticity for an animation talk I'm done do you want another one yeah why not please if you don't mind um so I met up with James, and we were both sort of frustrated with the course. And as there was no one there to teach us as such, uh, we set each other tests. So rather than animating what we kind of what we were enthusiastic about, we thought it would be better if, okay, I say to you, why don't you do this? And I force you to do something you wouldn't, you know, and the same for me. And then we'd shoot these things, and we'd work on the college equipment in the evenings and at weekends and so on, and shoot these line tests, and then criticise each other's work hopefully, you know, right. constructively, you know, and, and uh, it was sort of the blind leading the blind, but I mean, it was fun, and we yeah, were yeah. learning that way. And we were, uh, this would go on for hours about, but it was an awful course, I had many fights there. And while we were there, just getting to the summer holiday after the first year, we heard um, that there was this film starting up called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm-hmm. We didn't know what the hell it was, but we knew Richard Williams was attached, and I knew his work. And we knew Robert Zemeckis was attached and I knew his work and the ILM guys and so on. It was like, oh my God, this is happening in London. I mean, we practically wet ourselves uh, in the library looking at Screen International seeing this. So with our minutes worth of a little film we'd started under the radar that the college people didn't know about, we ran, we, we, ended, we were in London and we ran across London, found out it was in Camden, we were in central London and, and I, don't know if, I don't know why actually, I don't know if it's because we couldn't afford the fair or what it was but <laughs> right. we, had a, we had a VHS tape and we ran from central London to Camden on Jesus. Friday uh, and we figured naively then because we didn't know the animation industry that six o'clock everyone went home we didn't know they'd be working there yeah, probably not the Richard <laughs> Williams <laughs> they'd be there all night you know <laughs> killing themselves but um, so we thought Christ we've got to go <gasps> running through the streets we've got to get there by six o'clock so we turn up I mean picture this there's two guys 20 years old panting covered in sweat, I'm covered in acne, hair everywhere, you know, uh, just a wreck. And we somehow managed to get into the building and pass security and got up to reception at Disney. And they looked like we're about to mug them or something, you know, I don't know what. 
I mean, we've got to see someone we want a job, you know, full of naivety and enthusiasm. Mm. And somebody from production came along and went, it's kind of not really the way, you know, it works, guys. And you, you sort of apply and you phone us up and, and, and we go, yeah, yeah, but look at our film. We've got a minute's worth. It hasn't got any sound on it, but we've got a minute's worth of film and please can somebody look at it? Yeah. And they went, no, guys, you know, go away and phone us up and blah, 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 blah. So we were ushered to the lift. Now, this is my one Richard Curtis moment in my life. <laughs> um, I, I promise you this really happened. We're walking towards the lift, and I'm thinking, I've got to go back to that shitty college, and I'm walking away from Richard Williams, and I'm walking away from Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis, and I'm walking away from Industrial Light and Magic, and I've got to go back to that crappy... And, I, and it was sort of going into slow motion, you know, like this. <laughs> and my finger extended out to the, to the lift button... And it just stopped an inch away. Yeah. And I just went, I can't, I can't walk away from this. Yeah. And I was such a shy kid. You know, I mean, it's the first time in my life I ever would have stood up to anything. Yeah. I promise you this is true. It's so Hollywood, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it hovered there for a minute and I went, and I said to James, no, 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 we're not going to walk, you know. So we yeah. went back to reception. I said, please, please, can't somebody just look at our video, you know. And at that moment, this uh, lady from production called Patsy DeLord came out and she had a stack. It gets even more Richard Curtis. She had a she had a in tray down here. Her arms are stretched down here to yeah. her knees almost. And the paper went up to her chin. And she was had stacks of bloody paper and she was walking along like that, unable yeah. to, you know, move her head. And she overheard this and she said, Look guys, what do you want? He said, We just want someone to look at our video, you know, because we want to no no no. And she went, Go on then. And and because she couldn't move her hands or her head. She just yeah. looked down her nose at the stack of paper as yeah. and put it on there. And I balanced the video, <laughs> video cassette on it. And she sort of tottered off and we went in the lift. This was on Friday. Yeah. And then on Monday, phone goes. And they said, I think it was Andreas Deja. Really? I had seen <laughs> it. And he went, he loves your work. He thinks it's great. Come in, guys, you know, come do test. So we went into test. Now, this gets even weirder, the story. <laughs> They took you on off the street on that production for four weeks at a low rate, like half salary. Yeah. And if you got through the four weeks and were professional and so on, then you had the contract and you got the full whack. So we did our four weeks doing bits and pieces, doing in between, you know. Mm. Uh, and on the Friday, they said, fine, your work's good. You're in. You're both in between us now. So we turn up on Monday morning, sit down, ready to get a coffee, and Ian Cook who also worked uh, in production there, came over and he went, um, right, now Andreas Deja's looking for a new assistant and Richard Williams looking for a new assistant, so why not you guys? Which one wants to go with which? Fucking you know, and James hell. went, well, uh, you know, I, I, I'll go with Andreas. I went, okay, I'll go with Nick. And so, <laughs> so Monday morning, I became Richard Williams' assistant. So insane. I walk in, <laughs> again, you know, covered in spots and Christ, I didn't know what I was doing. And I walked in and Dick goes, oh, ooh, ooh, you know, nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Dick, you know, and okay. And he took me through the scene. And I'm just going, this is surreal. You know, I'm dreaming. You're not scared, this. though. I was scared shitless. Right, right, right. And he, he, he handed me the drawings and took me through the scene, very friendly. And I went away and I put them on the desk and I was shaking. I mean, I was shaking. I was so scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going, not only am I now working on this film, but I'm working for the main man, you know. Uh, 
and I put the drawings down, I picked up my pencil, and that crazy butterflies feeling you get that you sometimes get in your fingers if yeah. you're very... I couldn't mi- make a mark on paper. Right. I was so terrified I couldn't physically control my pencil. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of put the pencil down and went, okay, calm, calm, breathe, breathe, you know. So I did some slow breathing for five minutes. <laughs> went, okay, get going. And I calmed myself down <laughs> and started, started doing the drawings. And, of course, I guess... I had some technical aptitude, but I certainly yeah. wasn't fast enough, not for Dick. So I worked my ass off, and I worked through lunch, and I worked all evening. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I worked right through the night, but I worked pretty bloody late, and I got in at the crack of dawn. And then I just sauntered back into his office the next day like I'd just done it. In a couple <laughs> of hours, I went, there you go. And he went, yeah, great, you know, here's some more. You know? and, I went away. and I had to do that for several weeks. I had to right. kill myself right. to um, get enough experience to pick up speed. Right. So that I didn't have to kill myself anymore. That's amazing. And that was it. There I was. I mean, what it's ridiculous. Yeah. Talk about luck. And, <laughs> and how long were you? How long did you assist Richard Williams for? I assisted him right through um, Roger Rabbit, uh, but the Dick's kind of great in the way that he will. He likes working with young people because he often says they haven't picked up bad habits yet. So he can train them the way he wants them to to do the style he wants to do. He did the mm. same on The Thief, you know. A lot of young, relatively inexperienced people on the crew. Um, so he's very open to working that way. So the faster I got, and I did get fast, and when I got fast enough, I'd do at least, even on an average day, I'd do like 20 drawings a day in his style. You know, you couldn't tell the difference between his drawings and mine, exactly. as in-betweens, you know. In-betweens, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not, you know. Yeah, the way Dick worked and the way I now work is he, they don't use clean-up artists, but he roughs it and cleans up his own drawing and then leaves in between. So um, that's how I work still. Um, so it was a yeah, it was a bit of a trial by fire. But, it's amazing, um, though. It's like it's got to be such a unique experience. Like you know, like who else could have? gone that because you would have followed him as his assistant for years after that right well yeah well, the weird thing was though sorry I was, I was thinking I was going to say was, was that it, because he likes sort of throwing people in the deep end once he knows that you can do one thing you'll go okay well why don't you try this right and so he started feeding me bits of animation to do wow. and not main you know close up of dialogue or something but he you know I did quite a lot of bits of animation in the end even on the maroon cartoon you know, he'd say, the woman walks over to the door, I haven't got time to do door, animate the door. Okay, it's a technical thing, but it's still timing and spacing and so on, yeah, so yeah. I'd animate the door. And then he'd go, oh, hey, you know, why don't we have some... If you look at the... I think it's the opening shot, where she walks over to the door, or the third shot, anyway. She opens the door, and there's some little birds flying into a nest, because oh, he yeah, loves yeah. adding all these... So he said, yeah. you know, do some birds flying into a nest. And I went, okay. And then I said, but there isn't a nest on the layout. And he, on the background painting, sorry. And he said, well, paint it. And I went, well, I'm not. He said, oh, it's easy, go on, go down to background. Don't, you know, don't tell him you're going to do it. It'll annoy them. So I go down, <laughs> so Dick wants the background, you know, and I take it out and I, and I paint it over there. There's <laughs> this kid painting over their beautiful background. What, on, directly onto yeah. the background? He's, 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 just, he's just like, get on with it. And I, do, I put in the nest and so on, and then I take the painting back. Nobody noticed there was a new nest in there. And then I'd animate these little birds. And then it became more and more, okay, you know, this, where it got difficult for me, in a way, politically, was I'm a new kid on the block, I'm 20 years old. Right. Um, and occasionally, if he'd seen something an animator had done, where he didn't maybe like the secondary actions on the coattails flapping or the ears, Roger's ears or something like that, he'd say, okay, go fix it. Because he'd have a pile of fixes on his desk. And so the more he trusted me, the more he'd say, why don't you do some of these fixes? Right, right. 
and you know I was grateful to do them and I learned a lot but I always I tried to hide away because you've got these very experienced animators mm. you know and then I'm oh and you're fixing this I'm the little kid in there but you know he trusted me so I, I sort of hid in the shadows and did some of that kind of work on film as well wow that's crazy yeah was you guys aware of who Andrea Stasia was at that time yeah I think we were quite I think James and I were both it's fair to say we we're both pretty geeky yeah. Hopefully, in the hopefully in the best sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. So we knew Dick's work, and we knew a lot by name anyway. A lot of the Disney animators. Andreas was lovely, you know, really supportive. Yeah, everyone was great, and and I loved um, working with Robert Zemeckis, and I was a fan of his because I'd love Back to the Future. Yeah, and Romancing the Stone, and uh, to this day, I, if if I've had a few pints and I start sort of ranting in the pub, which we will do occasionally, if you have ever worked with for want of a better phrase, just an arsehole director. Mm. Often the arsehole directors are the least talented mm-hmm. or they're very insecure about something. Yeah, yeah. And you've got somebody like um, Zemeckis that would come in who was the top of the... Tra- I mean, he was the... He was, his movies were beating Spielberg's at the box office at that right. point. He was the biggest director on the planet, you know, financially yeah, yeah. speaking. And he came in and he's just like the nicest guy. Hi, guys, how's it going? You know, great, kill the world, and all this. Yeah. And he had a technical problem with one of the shots and had talked to Dick about it. And Dick said, oh, I got this, you know, I got this new guy working for me. Ask him, you know, and they wheeled me in. <laughs> and again, I'm straight out of college. And Zemeckis kind of looks, hi, nice to meet you, Neil. You know, here's the problem. And they'd run the thing on the movie Ola. And I'd go look at it and sort of stroke my chin. <laughs> <laughs> stroke my chin knowingly. Go, hmm, okay, Bob, you know. He said, okay, you got any ideas on how to fix that? And I go, okay, I think I probably have. Oh, great, you know. And he, he didn't care. He didn't care. If somebody sweeping the floor came up with a good idea, great, it was in the film. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, and to have that experience of seeing an A-list director so full of energy and positivity and, and polite uh, and just lovely to work with, you know, and I thought, wow, this is what the film industry's like, wow. And then, yeah. like, you know, and I had a great time with Dick as well. And then later on, I, I start working with some other director, and you go, oh, my God. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. you don't have to behave like an asshole yeah, to yeah, prove yeah. that you're talented, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. So, yeah, after Richard Williams, you had your own company at some point? My own company, like straight, Premier. Straight afterwards? Yeah, when The Thief, unfortunately, went down the plug hole, um, Dick very kindly, before he, he kind of vanished, off to Canada for 10 years. Nobody knew where he... Well, we found out he was in Canada, but, you know, he vanished. But he did say to me and John Leatherborough, the cameraman on that, you know, you guys should set up your own studio. And so we did. And for nine years or so, we, we worked as a satellite studio for feature productions, which was the thing then. Like you know, Space Jam. And Space stuff. Jam. Space Jam was interesting. It was probably the biggest thing we worked on because... Uh, we worked with the, produ- the original producers of Space Jam, Stephen Paul Lever and Jerry Reese. I'd worked with them through the company the year before on something called the Betty Boot movie, oh, which right. never happened. Right. It's a great script, really good script. The Fleischers still owned the characters. The Fleischer dynasty, you know, that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. still film producing. And uh, they had this great script, and they got Danny Elfman in to write music, and then they got me in to start doing some experimental animation of Coco the Clown and Betty Boop and so on. And we were going to set up a London unit to help support them in L.A. And then the management changed at Metro Goldwyn Mayer. And one of the things new management does is they cancel all the old management's projects as a matter of course. It's a political move. So partly just to piss them off and partly because if one of the old management's movies goes on to be a success, 
it's not good for them because right. it's like the old guys knew better than we did so they just right. cancel it really right. and so that movie went down the toilet for that reason it was a really nice script so it's right. sad but you know a year later the phone rang and Stephen Paul Lee was on the phone and said we've got this thing called Space Jam and I'm thinking what the hell <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> he said can you come out it's, it's all happening really fast you know can you come out to LA and I said sure you know um, you know, like, oh, can I come out at the end of the week? And he went, no, like now, can you get on a, now, can you get on a flight? And I went, well, now, no, I can't now. And he says, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, get on a flight. So I went out with John, uh, my producing partner, you know, and we flew out and I had, <laughs> I had like three pairs of box shorts, three pairs of, sh- three pairs of socks and three t-shirts or something like that, expecting to go out for a meeting and they just wouldn't let me go home. They went, no, the movie's happening, get on with it, we need to start designing. I'm going, what the hell, you know? So John went back to start expanding our studio and find premises. Right. And we worked on it for a long, you know. Oh, so you worked on it out in the US? I started working out in the US because they still, I mean, Swatkammer, the villain, was still potentially going to be Dennis Hopper then, live action. Oh, right. Actor, he wasn't even animated, the character at that oh. point. Everything was changing. We started boarding, started designing. Uh, I started doing boards and designs for sets they were going to build, like the there's a corridor in, in the house where you see Mickey Mouse. Um, sorry, what am I saying? Uh, Donald Duck. At, oh, come on. Bugs Bunny. Bunny. Wrong characters, Neil. Yeah. Uh, and, and Daffy Duck, you know, going through the drop. So I did designs for this, and then they obviously all got drawn up, made sense. Anyway, they, they said, there's no way we're going to be able to take, my company's going to be able to take the load. We're looking for Canada, but is there anywhere else in London, you know? So first thing popped into our minds, I said, we'll go talk to Uli Meyer. Yeah, yeah. So then... Uli got involved and he came over and then they talked to Uli and said, who do you know? And he said, well, Stardust. And then they got involved. And in the end, as, as production rolled in, everyone that could hold a pencil in the animation industry, yeah. mm-hmm. including my friends at DreamWorks who were working on other films with Moonlight on it, you know, on weekends. Right. I mean, wow. it was crazy. Everyone worked on it. Right. So that was quite a big experience, yeah. And they're, they're doing Space Jam too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think, it's just yeah. just been announced. They reckon that. I don't know if it's like... Is it 100%? I don't know. With LeBron James or whatever? You haven't got the call yet? No. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want the call. Actually. I don't know. Imagine it's 3D. Right? It's got to be 3D. Uh, I don't know, you know. No, I, don't, I really don't know. I don't, I don't know. Is it really going to happen? They keep announcing Roger Rabbit 2 and it never quite right. happens. I saw a 3D test for Roger Rabbit 2. Yes, Eric Goldberg did it, I think, didn't he? Or directed it. I, I can't. I don't know who did I it. It's just so. a guy in an office, and then Roger mm. Rabbit comes out, and yeah. apparently it's CG. Mm. But it looks it looks seen, amazing. Yeah. It yeah. looks really good, like particularly yeah. for it would have been like the late nineties or something. Yeah. Um, May it happen. You never know. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Everything gets bloody resurrected yeah. at least once these days, doesn't it? It'd be a sad thing for them to like do and then just fuck it up, though. Which they will. I mean, yeah. they're not going to make it better. Yeah. Oh man, Hoskins gone, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you never know. CG I mean, maybe image. Hoskins will be in it. He'll just, yeah, be, yeah. <laughs> just be like one of those synthespian sort of uh, <laughs> yeah. resurrections. Yeah. Um, so after, uh, so when Roger Rabbit ended, uh, James Baxter went off to Disney. He went to Disney, yeah. Did you ever get like offered to go out there? Yeah, I mean, and again, another funny story. Um, Dick kind of said he's in the office where I was working with him he said come out to the fire escape a minute I need to have a word so he kind of went out there and he said look Disney are after you and this was no big they were after everyone they were crewing up you know so it was no no ego 
boost on my part. But they say he's saying they're after you. They you know they like you to go out there, and that's great. He says they're going to offer you a lot of money. You know they're going to offer you tons of money, but you know I like working with you. If you want to stay here with me, and I'm going to try and get the thief off the ground, I can't offer you that money, but I'll teach you everything I know. You know I'll, you, whatever you want to know, I'll tell you. Mm. And I went well, no contest, you know, I'll stay with you. And he went, no, 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 they're going to offer you a lot of money, you know. Think about it. And I went, no, I've thought about it. I, I'd rather stay with you. He went, no, no, think really seriously. You have to go think about it. I went, all right, okay. So I just pretended to go off and I came back and said, no, no, I'm staying with you. Did they offer you it, give you an offer? No, well, he said, if you want to, if you are going to come work with me, I'll ask them to back off. Okay. Uh, Don Hahn, who was the production manager or something on that, I can't remember what he was. But anyway, he, and it was fine, you know, so they did. So I stayed with Dick, and at that point, Thief had no funding. And it was a drop in salary, but I couldn't care less. I mean, I was just right. learning, soaking up all the information yeah. I could. You never regretted no. that decision. God, no. And the thing is, I don't actually like LA that much. I right. mean, I've had this conversation before with people where I say that I can't speak French, I can't speak Italian, but if, if you drop me in Europe, I feel at home, even yeah. if I can't speak the language. California or Los Angeles absolutely no offense to you know the place but i always feel more alien although they're speaking my language i feel culturally it's so mm. different yeah. yeah i'm somebody who likes to wander around and you know you can't walk any i i, ha- I had the classic being stopped by the police for walking you know mm. what are you yeah. doing like, i'm walking like it's <laughs> a suspicious thing to do it's lovely in so many ways i don't mean to knock it but i just didn't feel that i could live right. there for a long time but had you been there at that had you been to la before you'd been offered that though because you would have been quite young at that point, right? No, not really. I think it was more the culture. Not, I didn't know it no, really well. I mean, I went back there a lot for work. Yeah. You know, and indeed, during Space Jam, I'd, I had an apartment. There were Warners gave me an apartment there, right. so I was there so much, right next to the studios, which was lovely. And I had a great time, you know, mm. but I just, I definitely feel European roots, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Was so, it right next to that big water tower with the WP on it? Where the Animaniacs yeah. live. Yeah. Really? Because I, I said, I said I, you know, I, I, the lack of driving thing, which is bizarre to them, and uh, obviously. And, I, and they found me apartments where I actually just would walk out the front door, and I, it was not even two minutes, and I'd walk in the front gate of Warner Brothers right. studio to do the day's shooting on the green screen stages. And, and at that time, uh, DreamWorks was right opposite. So right. I had all my friends over there. So occasionally I'd go over to DreamWorks for lunch because they used to have these giant free lunches for all their star. Right, right, right. So they didn't care if people turned up, so I used to go and see them oh, right. for breaks sometimes. Oh, so you would have been hanging out with James and stuff? Uh, I'm not sure if James, I think James at Disney at that time. I can't remember, I don't remember seeing James, but my other friend David Bowers, right, right. friends like that were there. Um, and that was crazy, you know, I'd go and have a lot. I remember, I remember sitting with David one time and he, we'd eaten this lovely kind of salad thing. He said, oh, do you want some ice cream? And I, being British, I thought, oh, a little bowl of ice cream. Very nice, too. Very hot. Yes, like, please. Like a little 99 or something. So he, goes, he says, oh, come on, follow me. And we walked into the kitchen. There's all flames and chefs and, you know, ridiculous amount of expense thrown at these animators at that time. And uh, he opened what turned out to be a fridge, but I thought it was like a safe door in the bottom. It was like a door, 18-foot-high metal door. And it was just stacked from floor to ceiling with Hagen dazs and he just took out like an entire tub and said, there you go. And I'm like, really? You're like, don't, don't you have to pay? I'm so British, you know, really? <laughs> yeah. He goes, no, no, just take one. It's like, oh, bloody hell. Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> the streets are paved with ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of and, so, and so when did the, so when did your studio 
shut down? And we shut it down in um, do that? Millennium, um, during the Millennium. Well, not during the Millennium. It's a festivities, but we yeah. were there until then. So, um, it, and the reason was we, the work was beginning to dry up in that field and we didn't want to get into commercials. I mean, mm. I like animating commercials, but we didn't want to produce them. Mm. Um, so we just thought, let's quit while we're ahead. Mm-hmm. And we we had a studio building that we bought, you know, and so on. So really? we thought rather than fritter Wh- that way. Whereabouts? Money, a place called Wardrobe Place. Um, <laughs> quaint old name. That looked out over St Paul's Cathedral. Holy shit. Okay. So for a lot of um, doing The Last Bell, I was looking out over the Dome of St Paul's. It was fantastic. Beautiful. They used to shoot movies there every month, period costume dramas, because all the mm. buildings around there were so old. We allegedly had Studio Ghost, although I never saw it, but other people did. But anyway, we had this place, and, and um, a couple of my business partners were getting to the age where they could retire, mm-hmm. and we just thought, let's quit, you know, while we're yeah. ahead. So we shut it down, and I went freelance again. Mm-hmm. And was that the point at which you started working with Sylvain Chomet? Or was there yeah, a little bit of an interim? No, there was a little bit of... I did some work for... When did I work for Purdoms? I can't remember my own filmography but I did some work for Purdoms I worked for Passion for a while okay. doing commercials with them um, yeah the, the Chomet thing started I didn't know Thing One who represent him I didn't know them at all actually and um, I got a call from them and what had happened was that Sylvain had been at, I think at some film festival something with, with Richard Williams and he wanted to do this commercial for Win- Winterthur um Winterthur, whatever it was, I can't think, but life insurance or something, I can't even think what the product was, but anyway. And he wanted it done in his style, but he wasn't essentially around to do it himself much because he was off trying to get his own features set up. So he'd said to Dick Williams, do you know anyone that could mimic me and do my style and so on? And Dick very kindly said, try this, try this guy, Neil. So that was my introduction to um, Thing One and then doing a lot of work for Sylvain. Oh, right. How many commercials did you do with Sylvain? Mm, probably about seven or eight. Oh, really? Something like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then the Simpsons titles and then the yeah. Stromae music video. And you had a pretty big hand in a lot of those commercials, right? Done by Sylvain. Yeah, Sylvan. definitely. I mean, the thing... Switch his diplomatic brain on. The thing with Sylvain <laughs> is that, um, you know, there are th- projects that he's involved into a greater or lesser extent and you know obviously while he's trying to set up features he's not necessarily particularly hands-on with commercials and so on often not always but sometimes so a lot of the commercials i just took Mm. control of like the winter third one i just Mm. took the idea and boarded it and i remember thinking god you know how can we do this in time so i started the whole commercial with a shadow moving over the buildings and and so on which saved a lot of time in animation but i just Mm. thought it was a nice cool idea to introduce this monster that way Mm. Uh, and then we designed all that. Uh, me and Dean Roberts and Darren Vandenberg, I think, mm-hmm. came up with all the characters and, and so on. So that was a nice commercial to work on. And are you still doing stuff? Together no, not really. Uh, I haven't worked with Sylvan since the uh, Stromae thing. Okay. And Stromae was at the opposite end of the of of, of the um, spectrum where, where Sylvan was very involved. Okay. You know, and he really did, um, he was really enthusiastic about that. Right. And um, did a lot of story. He story well. I storyboarded it with him, but I only drew. He asked me to draw. You know, he was mm-hmm. coming up with the shots. It was his creative thing, and he designed everything. And he even did 
uh, there's a, like a little 20 second bit of animation in the middle sort of bedroom okay. scene with, with Stromae and his girlfriend which he animates himself mm -hmm. so that was nice you know we actually got to work together on, on that one which was fun yeah, was that done on paper? except for Silvan's bit yeah he, he just found TV Paint and the Cintiq Right. So he decided to do that sequence on that to see what it was like. Cause first right. time he'd animated that way. Yeah. But we'd already, I'd already started the animation well ahead of that. Right. On papers, which is how we usually did it, you know, to get yeah. his pencil style. So me and my crew did the sort of three minutes on paper, and he did the twenty-second right bit on the bed, TV paint, and it, you can actually tell the difference a little, okay. but you know, it, it's fine. It worked pretty well. How did he get on with it? Do you know? So I remember when he loved you, it. you guys came down yeah. to test it in the studio. Um, yeah, he got on well with it. Yeah. He converted really, really fast, and he was trying to. He, <laughs> he was kind of taunting me because he was sat right next to me, and I'd be, you know, flapping away with the paper or whatever, and he's saying, he'd hear me rubbing something out of him. He says, You do not need to rub it out. I can do this. <laughs> control Z, control Z. Oh, no, this thing's always yeah. trying to get me over to the dark side, which, you know, but. Uh, yeah. I wasn't quite ready then. <laughs> I succumbed later. <laughs> Sorry. And so it was on was it on Ethel and Ernest that you started using? No, I think right after that I did some more things at, at um, Thing One, and I, what I do a lot did a lot of pitching work for commercials that may or may not have come off. But they used to get me to come in to do design work, even if I even if I even if it's a CG job or something I wasn't going to animate. And um, I found that I really liked drawing on the Cintiq, you know, and pulling up the watercolor or whatever the texture but I still couldn't get my head around the animation right not the rough animation I thought assist was great and in between was great but I had a real mental block about the animation not being able to flip mm. and just rough stuff out and feel it because I still maintain that paper animation is, is essential thing mm-hmm I have a lot of bullshit theories that I could, <laughs> that I could bore on. you with. <laughs> but, yeah, but, no, it's good to hear. But it's like the right, the right side, left side of the brain thing. I always find <laughs> if I'm, I, get, I can get into a reverie when I'm drawing. You ever get that thing like when you're working on something and you look up and it's dark outside? And if you're drawing... I wish I could say yes to that. I'm so... I don't get... I, the thing on paper is I can get lost. Not always, because it could be a pain in the ass, but you can get lost and then you look down and you go, oh, God, it's dark outside and... My bum hurts and I have deep vein thrombosis in my legs because mm. I haven't moved for four hours. And, but you've got a stack of drawings. And then when you flip through them, you go, you, you're kind of almost surprised by your own animation. You know, you, mm. you've just got into such a state that you're not conscious of what you're doing. Mm. And I don't get that digitally. I draw in a completely different way, which is fine. It's just different. But I find that you're flitting between or flicking between I'm doing something artistic, I'm drawing, I need to change something, okay, technical, I need to go to that menu, I need to pull that down, mm. I need that opacity, right, switch off technical, artistic again, now I'm drawing again, oh, no, picked up the wrong thing, technical, go back, and so your brain is... See, because I get the opposite, like, I remember working with you was yeah. was kind of the first time... Hell on earth. earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably for you more than for me. No, no, uh, no, but uh, it, it was... Uh, using uh it was the first time in a long time that i'd used a dope sheet mm. um and that was uh that totally broke my brain like my math mathematical yeah. skills are not very good at all and just having to think about it in in that kind of systematic way yeah. totally threw me out of out of the process of doing it and that's yeah, not something that i 
that's not like a process that I I never do dope sheets ever yeah. now. That not that I'm like any kind of benchmark, but like yeah, it's, that's interesting. Yeah, and I and I see more and more two D animators not approaching it like that. Just yeah. kind of just kind of going straight ahead and thinking like I'll oh, just you know time it later. Yeah, time later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I um I I'd find that like even just getting up to sit down and shoot some yeah. footage for. When I, was, I only really did it when I was studying and on a couple of small jobs afterwards but just sitting down and shooting something and yeah. then and then going back to sit down and work would just take me completely out of it because yeah. I'd do something and I'd be like because when you're younger you're just experimenting so you're yeah. like I don't know if that yeah. will work or not and you test it and you go oh it didn't work and then you sit down and now I'm out of it whereas if I'm working digitally I just do a drawing play it back oh, I didn't work scrap it and then yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I can work through the the process quicker so yeah that that ability to line test all the time i love right mm-hmm. and you really can reflect i'm not i'm i'm joking about being negative about it. there is no, no, so it's, much it's, about it's, it it's a really valid what you're saying is completely valid like i don't i'm not discounting it at all it's just it's just different experience yeah. isn't it it's just because i've had you know i've been in both sides of, you know both both sides of the of the business if you like i'm <laughs> old enough to have done that and so I can see there are things that were great about how it used to be done that we've lost. Mm. But equally, there's so many great things we've gained. Yeah. But with a crummy side to it. You know, there's always, I'm always saying it's a double-edged sword, you know. Um, but it, that, that sensual thing I miss, I call it sensual. I was saying to someone recently, it sounds kind of pervy, but I was saying <laughs> when, you, when you're, when you're um, doing watercolour or doing a life drawing in charcoal or something, it's a conversation. It sounds terribly wanky, but it's a conversation yeah. between you and the material you're using. Yeah, yeah. And, and I said, this is, like, this is kind of sexy, you know, this is sexual. You're, you're touching something and it's touching you back. It's responding. So you're, you're going a little faster or a little slower or, or, or you know, and, and, and it's reacting. Back. And, and, and it's, a, yeah, it's a conversation. And I'm saying, whereas I'm saying the digital thing is like it's porn online yeah yeah it's it's very visually stimulating but it's all behind glass you yeah, can't yeah. Feel it. it you can't get to it yeah 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 so that whole sensual side of it i find frustrating that i can't smash through the glass yeah but when i am drawing what i love now on on the cintiqs um with tv paint which is what i'm using is that you you know you do a drawing and you and you're slightly wonky with the head, you know, like you know, like when you're on your phone and you're doodling, and yeah, you yeah. think, "Oh, that's got quite a nice head," and then you straighten up, look at it, and you've done it all lopsided, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, foreshortened. So sometimes you draw like that, and of course, with just a warp tool, stick it around, yeah, pull it over, and you've got a really nice drawing. Or, yeah. or I don't know, you can just you can you can recover your drawings. Yeah. Whereas before old days, you had a problem with the drawing. You you either had to rub it out or just start on a fresh sheet of paper. Yeah, yeah. So. But that's probably like. That's almost probably better training because I find that some like when I'm when I do like an illustration now or if I'm just doing a drawing for drawing's sake, I'm like almost scared to go and do it on paper first. Like I would like, even if I was going to do a drawing that ended up on paper, I think I would draw it digitally first. Yeah, and then do the final thing on paper, just because of I've kind of trained myself out of being able to just get something mm. right on the first go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I think almost the kind of editing thing is great, but it's like, I don't know, it has like a uh, adverse effect to, yeah. to your actual skill level, you know? Yeah. Because you're sort of relying on a a tool, essentially, to get you through it. Like, a, you know, 
Well, I mean, another we- another weird thing is is that you don't really get accidents, and creatively, mm. accidents can be really useful. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's a you know Victor Hugo the author right I don't know if you know that you probably do but he did these great drawings and paintings oh, no. and while he was writing he apparently did drawings sometimes and the drawings would sometimes sort of help him with the writing oh, and so okay. on but what he apparently used to do was he'd have this paper and he'd just throw crap on it if he had coffee he'd spill coffee on it or smudge it or whatever and then let these things dry and then he'd have these splattery things with coffee and earth and god knows what on them and he'd go oh, that's an interesting shape and then with a ink pen he'd start drawing what looked like a castle on a craggy mm. wow. you know the shape would suggest something to him mm. go check it out on, on, on Google Images if you want to put oh, right, yeah. Hugo drawings or something fantastic gothic right. drawings but that element of using an accident um, can be really interesting because it takes some of you beyond your own limitations or beyond your own yeah, personality yeah, yeah, yeah. if you like whereas the digital thing again is you've set your parameters yeah. it's this opacity because I told it to be and it's spreading this far because I told it to yeah 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 and there are as everything I'm saying today you know there are pros and cons to that there are wonderful things to that in terms of the control but the downside is you don't ever have an accident yeah, you know, yeah so no, you're only true. ever doing what you intended to do kind of yeah so yeah so, so you, are you saying with the with a more traditional approach you don't have accidents or with the digital no with the traditional approach you can because right. if you're doing watercolour and you wet the paper and okay. you put, you know, it's spreading, it's physics and God knows the temperature <coughs> of the room and everything and you're reacting to it and responding to it, mm-hmm. um, you don't really get that in digital drawing. You get a different thing and an equally brilliant thing in a different way. Yeah. But I'm just, I was, you know, just been saying, it's, it's having done both, I have, I have love and hate for both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Confusingly. It seems, it seems almost more controlled in the, in the, in the way that you're describing sort of planning and shooting um, it's because it probably has to be though right well it's where you put the planning I mean there's no less or more planning these days to when I started it's just that you had to do more planning at the beginning okay and now you don't have to do much planning at the beginning and could you could you like roll with the punches like you know halfway through uh, a shot that you've you've kind of really strictly dope sheeted that's maybe got a very elaborate kind of background with a mm. camera move on it and stuff would you be able to be like oh, I'm just going to try some stuff out here or do you feel like you have to depends what it was stick to it, I right? mean it depends on depends what the change was and depends on the schedule and mm-hmm. and all sorts of things but generally I mean the rule of thumb would be that if you make any kind of major change it's going to cost money because mm-hmm. the old process in commercials particularly um, say like in the heyday of Richard Williams studio when they were doing 13 commercials at any given time in the studio a ridiculous turnover is that you do your character designs the agency with the clients would sign off you do some background paintings and then you do a cell set up of each shot that would be painted the colours just one cell and they go don't like the colour of the hat or whatever so you go and scrape paint off whatever and change it and then they would have to sign off on that before you painted 400 cells, they go, yes, we like that. And then you paint 400 cells with that colour hat. Now, if they then said, do you know what, actually, can we have a different colour hat? You go, absolutely, you can, but here's the bill. And then they'd be charged for it, at which point they usually went, oh, do you know what, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> as soon as money got involved. But um, if, if it was a significant change, they would have to pay for it. Mm. So as, as we said earlier, you know, the difference now is 
they won't necessarily tell you what colour hat they want, and if they do, you can be sure that at three o'clock in the morning on the last mm-hmm. night, it will probably change. Right. Because it can. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that working digitally has changed your method of animating, or do you do it exactly the same way? And also, what is that way? Is it the is it the animator's um. survival kit way? <laughs> yeah, because well, you you, you uh, didn't you also animate a lot of the yeah yeah no it sorry it I asked about ten questions <laughs> no 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 that's no, good and, and what was the middle bit yeah. um, no the 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 animated survival animated was fantastic one of the happiest times actually I had professionally and no, what was that was the DVD box the DVD set box set um, it's now an app or something it's right? now a, now a, I think a hundred of the four hundred tests or something are on a app yeah yeah, yeah that's amazing yeah. but we spent two years on that and there was Dick Williams and me and a digital uh, Peter Van Hout digital guy that you know shot everything and it was shot sort of on a rostrum but there was comping involved if you see what I mean so it wasn't like a scanning thing it was was an odd way of doing it but it it worked really well and um, and then Mo Sutton the producer and that essentially apart from the live action bits you know was it so we didn't have an assistant known between us. So just Dick and me just drew everything. Um, and that was great. And I, and I did a lot of it. I mean, I'd say I did probably 70% of the tests or something like that um, with Dick's blessing, you know, and he'd look over it and direct me really well. You know, and he's great to work for. But I did an awful lot of tests. But I'd, I'd really learned such a lot from that. Because anyone that's seen it will know there's these crazy things where you, you'll do a piece of animation, it'll be like, this is how not to do it. Mm-hmm. And okay, this is a better way of doing it. And now here's a, a way of doing it with a bit more flexibility. Yeah. And because this is all done on paper, I did each version of it completely as a, as a run of animation. And oddly, doing it the wrong way taught me more about how to animate correctly. Because <laughs> really? you kind of learn from mistakes more. And when you see yeah. what the end result is of doing something the wrong way yeah. and then you do the next version which is slightly looser or you've limited it up a bit mm. you know and then and you work your way through you go, it really was a, a fantastic education for me really? you had to get paid for it as well you know to yeah, do yeah. these tests all right the way through the lip sync and so on and then at the end of that we um, as we were wrapping up the animation Dick had started to do the title sequence with the characters coming in in colour oh yeah which were shot were animated on frosted cell hand-painted. Really? Yeah. Shot on a rostrum, one character at a time against a colour, and then they were keyed digitally. So we had the... Brilliant way of working, but you take the best of both worlds. The reason we did it on Frosted was because there's a lot of rendering and cross-hatching. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you cross-hatch, you have to start putting things on separate loads because you can't paint between the... You know, where the lines intersect, you can't use paint fill, which means you then have to do the cross-hatching on a separate level, and it all becomes so bloody complicated. The easiest thing to do is just do a drawing on Frosted and paint it. Mm. You know, it's old but it's old school yeah. in the simplest way <coughs> but we used the digital thing uh, in putting it all together so we could really control you know the look of it and, and the timing and all that kind of stuff so using the best of both worlds so he started animating that and he got ill badly ill in, in the middle of it so then I took over animating those characters and I think I started with this stick guy that falls into shot and I'd, oh, yeah. I'd actually said I've got an idea for this Oh, I've said, I've got an idea for that stick man. Can I do it? And he went, yeah. And I said, what I want to do is, he said, no, don't tell me. Surprise me, you know. And I said, well, yeah, but it's kind of... No, he said, no, no, just do it. So I, and what I thought about was a deck chair unfolding. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. Like when you try and do it. So I said, I just want to try and bring him in and unfold him and then get him into a rhythm of walking. 
so he liked that and it was fine you know we did it there were no changes or anything he just really liked it and then I did another few more characters mm. he got better and then he came back and did the Daxon at the end I think right, right. so he did the characters at the front and the end and I did the middle bit right, so right. fantastic fun yeah that and what was it two years two years it took us to do 400 tests did he make any money on that because I remember when the DVDs come out it was like no 400 idea. pounds or something like that for like I genuinely had nothing to do with the business side or no, right, right. you know, I, I wasn't part of it. I'm not like, I don't, benefit, yeah. I mean, they pay me to work on it, but it wasn't my project. Right, you know? right, right. I was a hired hand. So I, I guess it was successful for them. I think it tended to get bought by um, studios and colleges yeah, yeah. as a library resource. You know, they buy yeah. one or two or whatever, and then whoever was at the college could go and mm. watch them. Yeah. I, I remember just thinking though, but it was like, it was something like 12 DVDs or something. And I remember just thinking yeah, each... Oh yeah, maybe yeah, yeah it was it was maybe more. Yeah, and then each one had like twenty minutes or thirty minutes, and it's like, why couldn't this all just be on like two? <laughs> like every time I wanted to see the next thing, I'd take a DVD out and put the next. But the thing. reason for that, and I dick, and I kind so of agree. Get the whole picture on the spines. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, that's why. That's why. No, but it's it's kind of like museum fatigue. It was it it was, and the editing was. Uh, we worked with Don Fair Service at um, uh, Ardman Editing Rooms. We were right next to Nick Park doing his last Wallace and Gromit um, half hour, which was nice. And uh, we sat there for months editing these things, and it was tough. I mean, mm. and, and Dick is really particular about... Sometimes I, we were trying to write dialogue or voiceover, and we were all pitching in Mo and him and everyone, you know. And um, I'd say something, and he'd go, no, no, it's too professorial, he'd say, if I used a kind of long word. I'd say something like... Um, to be a good draftsman, you need to... He goes, no, no, draftsman, drawer. And he was always trying to simplify, which is what he's done all his life. He's tried... Well, maybe not all... You know, yeah. artistically, it's complicated. <laughs> but what I mean, yeah, is, what I mean is in terms of teaching people, it's yeah, about yeah, simplifying, yeah, right, right, you know, right. keep it simple and all that stuff. So, you know, he's very, he's very particular about that boiling it down sort of thing. Um, so... He, but so, so his, his, sorry, his, his thing about the, the, having that number of DVDs was that you could only take so much information, like half an hour, 40 minutes, before it just goes blah, 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 blah and you right. don't hear it anymore. There's so much information coming at you that you just cannot take it anymore. So right. they, were, they were designed to work in chunks. Right. That once you'd Bites really it. understood that and mastered that, then the next one made even more sense and so on. That's, right. why, that's why it was done that way. Hmm. It's really interesting. Mm. And, and the good thing also from that was that in the last few weeks, I got, Dick asked me to do uh, the animal action in it because I'd done a fair amount of animals to cat, cat animation and stuff like that. So he, he gave me all the horses and the, I can't remember what the animals were now, you know, flapping things and so on. Yeah. But I only had like about, I think, four weeks to do the whole zoo that's in those... Um, DVDs. So I did a shed load of research, and I just went through every film I could get, and every I read biology, I read anatomy, went to the science, you know, went to the Naturalist Museum, everything, and then and did these animated things. But he then took those um, gallops and canters and trots and so on, and, and then did the expanded version of his book. Right. So a lot of the work, extra work we did on the DVDs, then fed back into the yeah. expanded book version, which yeah. was. Nice, you know. I suppose if you're writing the book on it, you have to make there's a lot of pressure to get it to be like spot on. Absolutely right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's and it's such a bizarre concept. I mean you try to explain anything about animation. Mm. 
you get tongue-tied. I mean, it's, it's such a hard thing to describe. Yeah. What do you do? In what order? What do you do first? It's, it's such a complex thing. And on that note, can, can you talk about your process? Because everyone <laughs> I like... I remember when I first... When I was learning animation, I would listen to... There was that animation podcast that yep. was really famous. And I'd listen to it. And I'd just, I'd want, all I'd want is them to talk about like the technical. Mm-hmm. And I remember when listening to the Glenn Keane and the James Baxter one... Just being like, tell me how you do it. And it's like, <laughs> we've had so many great, like, like, you know, Peter Dodd's been on the podcast, yeah. so many great technical animators, yeah. Michael Schlingman, and I've never yeah. asked them their process. So, yeah. I'd, what pencil do you use? No, no. I mean, yeah, I want to know that, obviously. But uh, the, just like, you know, do, do you, you know, dope sheet out like this? I'm going to step here, here, and here, or do, you know, because in the Richard Williams books, there's the, he, he might has key made a twelve-part DVD about how he approaches it. <laughs> no, well, well, I know how Richard Williams does it, but like you know, the straight-ahead over key in it and all that kind of stuff. Or but it's exactly my pro- because that's my process because he right. taught me. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about me and James palling up at, at um, college and then working together was that James, you know, <laughs> was born as a fetus. He could animate. I mean, he is not, he's the only person I personally met that came out the womb capable of animating beautifully. Mm. And of course he's learned a lot along the way. He's learned about lip sync and he's learned how to accent, which I don't think you necessarily naturally have and mm. so on. But even if you looked at the stuff he did as a kid, you know, and the stuff he was doing at college when I was at him, it's so fluid and so he just is born. It's in his DNA. Yeah, the, now, the rotating form stuff. Yeah, and just understanding spacing and having a feel for it, you know. I, on the other hand... Um, had an enormous amount of enthusiasm and a certain stubborn streak and a small amount of talent but I, Dick broke me down into pieces in the nicest possible sense and rebuilt me I mean that's how he, <laughs> that, that's how he, that's how he taught me like Robocop yeah <laughs> so any bad habits I'd started developing in my Super 8 days he kind of got rid of them and he just started from saying this is how you plan something this is how you look after you know, it starts even with how do you look after the artwork? What, how do you put it in folders and look after it and show mm. respect for it down the line? You know, it sounds ridiculous and boring, but it's old school apprenticeship, if you like. Yeah. yeah. Um, how you time things and so on. So all that stuff about... Um, I use the same process. Any given scene, I think he calls it telephone animation. You know this, for people that don't know, telephone animation no. came out of when, you, when you're under pressure... And you've got to do a good scene, but you're answering the telephone all the time. Right. Um, how do you do that? And, and his thing is, um, just, to, just to simplify, you know, basically he says you, you shut the door for one day and tell everyone to F off. Mm. Don't answer the phone and you figure out your key drawings. And key drawings in the Disney sense, not key drawings like people call extremes keys, but right. key drawings are the drawings that tell the story. Mm-hmm. So me sitting here with you guys, if I go up, to walk out that door the first drawing is me sat here and the next key drawing is me with my fingers on the door about to open it because the story I'm telling is I got out the chair and opened the door Yeah. don't need one in the middle don't need one where I'm getting the weight on my feet that's not a key drawing key drawing yeah. is a story to, it's what you do in a comic strip yeah yeah so those two drawings you work your ass off on and you possibly will only do two drawings in the first day because you work really hard to get your proportion right and get on model and all that stuff and then the next day, you start to do the extremes. 
and that might be okay I'm going to take four steps to get to that door mm-hmm. so I've got my first good drawing hopefully and my last good drawing so now let's work out where the feet go to get between those two drawings mm-hmm. and maybe another drawing of me sort of leaning forward getting my weight over my feet to get out the, the chair so that's what have I done five drawings so mm-hmm. day one two drawings day two five drawings at this point you can start to talk on the telephone and do all the other things you need to be doing running studio and then once you've got your key positions on the walk okay you've got passing positions where the weight transfers from one foot to another and you know your head's doing an up so you work that out you know Mm. and and slowly bit by bit you know then you'll do 10 drawings and then on day four you're doing essentially what are in between but you've had your fence posts in from day one so you can't kind of go right you can stay on proportion you know your drawing's Mm. good you're not going to go off the paper or end up eight foot high when you get to the door in the wrong place or something like that so it's just a way of securing that you're going in the right direction early on and then if you've got time you've got the time and the money then you go over it and do all the secondary actions and if you've got even more time money you do the tertiary actions and so on and just keep building it it up and I always say to people I'm pretty stupid I can only think of probably like most men but I can only think of one thing at a time so I just have to do one thing at a time get that right okay move on to the next thing get that right and so on. Have you ever have, have you done much straight ahead stuff? Only really on secondary actions. Okay. Oh really? Mm. So you you will just key the whole thing out first and then pretty much and you can't if if you mix how you if you do a straight ahead runs and things afterwards you can't tell. Right. At, at some of the some of the bouncing in the tunnels in the uh underground in the last bell I kind of did straight ahead I'd animate a ball for maths, I do a bouncing ball, which was his stomach, and I do that more or less straight ahead, mm. or maybe on fours or something. But even once I'd done that and I got the spacing right, you know, and shot a line test of that, I'd still pick the frames where he hit the floor or something and draw those up first, and then use the same phrase to make sure the perspective was mm. consistent and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Do you work with many people who work in a more straight ahead way these days, or...? Yeah, I think more, I think generally the younger people coming in do work more straight ahead. Mm. And to a man and a woman, thankfully, because there's more women animators now than when I started out, um, they all draw and then time, which I always find right. <laughs> odd because I always time and then draw. Because I don't know, I don't know how you can do a drawing without knowing where it is in the in the movement. Mm. Yeah, I find it. As soon as I started straight ahead in, I found I enjoyed animation more. Yeah, I find that when I keyed stuff, I'd you yeah day mm. one, day two, like you describe, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is you know it's looking like something, and then I'd in between it or whatever, and I'd be like, oh, this looks awful or whatever, and, <laughs> and I, I hate myself because I just wasted all this time. And I find that if you straight ahead it and time it out as you yeah. go along then really quickly, within an hour yeah. or two, you can see, even if like stuff is scaling and yeah. volumes are shifting, you kind of know what the whole thing is, and then I'll go back over and yeah. tie down the the keys or something. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't know. Are you aware of, like, how, sort of how many of the sort of historical animators approach things in a straight-ahead way as opposed, opposed to pose to pose, like... Um, like Milk Carl, for example, is do, do you know if he keyed everything out and then yeah, the Milk Carl way really. I mean, what Dick T 
teachers essentially is a is a there's a little bit of Art Babbitt in there as well, but it's a lot. It's a mixture of Milk Carl and Ken Harris, who both work the same way. I mean, Ken's animation is a lot cruder in a sense because he had to do churn out more footage. But it's the same principle. But they were post to post people, but they just knew how to disguise it, mm-hmm. so it doesn't look zip 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 like you're hitting yeah, key yeah, positions. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't certainly Milk stuff. My God, mm. you know, I mean, it just it's just drawings. I I always alive. assumed he worked straight ahead. But Mm. No, very, very... Uh, and he'd do kind of odd things where he'd say, I draw what I need to draw. I think there was some example, he says, like with Madame Medusa, where she reaches for a telephone, he goes, well, I know her hand needs to be there on that frame, so I might just draw the arm mm. and then go back and do something else. Sure. And bit yeah, by yeah, bit, yeah, he yeah. kind of ties it all together, you know. Which is kind of interesting, you know, uh, it's interesting how that relates to how 3D animators work because there's a mm. ton of different ways that mm. 3D animators work. You've got like layering and then you've got like yeah. people who you know, pose everything out and then people who use the graph editor a lot more yeah. and, you know, all those different kind I don't of ways. I don't know what they do. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but it's fascinating. It's really, because yeah. I, I didn't, it's only recently that I've sort of been working with people who are doing 3D stuff and, um, uh, and it and it is fascinating to see how the different people how different people work and how mm. that kind of like how different uh, different approaches are kind of more or less amenable to mm. a pipeline. Yeah. You know, if people are working in a certain way where they've just animated, you know, day one they've animated the lower half of the body. Mm. You know, like how do you feed back on that? Yeah. You know, and yeah. then like it's it's only two weeks later that they've done the face <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like that's yeah. a very very different way of, yeah. of approaching animation is that like Glenn Keane I assume does work straight ahead right it feels straight ahead yeah ish but I don't know I don't know his work I mean I don't I've never met him and I don't I've never okay. had the discussion so I don't know how he works because that was definitely I think for me similarly to Tim like yeah. you know not to um, put down the animators survival kits but yeah. like I you know I, I definitely studied that stuff very yeah. closely for a yeah. long time uh, and then I think uh, when Tarzan came out the DVD yeah. had a lot of line tests that Glenn King did yeah. and you just saw them all moving and it was just like it was just like he'd done it in five minutes and it yeah. was like it was very rough and it was very um, imprecise yeah. but it kind of felt like it captured the movement and it was something where you could you could get you could get feedback very quickly yeah. and see where you were going. And I think as soon as I started pursuing it, like, I work in a similar way now. Yeah. Um, when I, as soon as I started working like that, I started enjoying it a, yeah. a little mm. bit more as well. I think everyone finds their own way. It's like actors, you know, how they find a character. Yeah, yeah. You know, or how they rehearse. They've all got some people say, I must stay in character. You must talk medieval English to me all day because I must stay in character. And others just immediately switch off and start joking with the crew, Mm. you know, and they just got a different... The only thing I would say about the loose thing from a production point of view, I'm not Mm -hmm. criticising either you or or, Mm -hmm. or Glenn Keane, whose work I don't, you know, work know well enough, but I've worked with people that work very rough. And there is always a danger with some people working that way that there appears to be more there than there is. And what generally happens then is some poor bastard of an assistant yeah, gets yeah. dumped with the scene yeah. and you know there are circles for hands and it's like well, what are the fingers doing what's yeah. the gesture why is that arm so much longer in that you know it, it's a met and it's mm. very very hard unless your style is you know you're doing a commercial mm. where it is mm. pencilly if you yeah. if you're kind of pull it into a kind of what i call a disney character if you like mm. with solid masses it can be a mm. pain 
for other people to follow up. Do you know what? That's the big uh, one of big one of the big differences that I I am aware of between working traditionally and digitally is that when you work digitally, you're just expected to do everything. You're the colorist. Oh God, you're yeah. the in betweener. You're the <laughs> clean up the tie down. Yes. Uh, so I suppose it's kind of I actually find it hard to pass shots off to people. Yeah. Like when it's like oh someone can come and in between it or whatever it's like oh shit now I've got to work out timing charts and like I'll rarely if I'm doing something myself I'll rarely work out any of those kind of things can I tell you you know what you've reminded me of this is the strangest thing yeah um Richard Williams I get that a lot with my enemies no No, when when I was still doing the pencil stuff Mm -hmm. at thing one um people there are lovely producers. I'm not, but, but occasionally you get. A, no, no. I mean, genuinely, I love. I love. You know, uh, I owe Lydia and and Barris and so on a huge amount. She gave me tons of work, and I love working with. Her. But there, occasionally, people, not her, occasionally people come in and go. Um, when can you? Right, when's this drawing going to be done? But when are these designs going to be done by? And you go, well, can I by six? And they go, can you do it by four? You know, because we got to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, yeah, okay. And they go, well, just make it, you know, just make it sketchier. And, and like the drawing is the work, not the thinking or the research or the whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and the trouble, so all my life, you kind of get treated by some <laughs> producers, not, not all, uh, as if it's like child's play, because kids draw, right? And yeah. it's fun. <laughs> I'm drawing, you know. And everyone else... Everyone that was comping stuff, they come yeah. in and go, can you have that ready for whatever? And they go, well, I'm afraid that the alpha channel is introverted up the <laughs> negative velocity of the whatever. And they go, oh, okay, so do you need a bit more time? And they go, yes. And they'd walk away. But me, goofball here with his drawings, I'm just doing kids' play, right? It's just sketches. If you can't do it in time, make them sketchier. Yeah. So, so there was always this kind of thing like you must, you know, it's no big deal. It's child's play. Now, the first time I sat down to a Cintiq, um, I was doing some drawings and, and somebody or other came in and same old conversation, you know, can you have this done four hours earlier than we said? And I went, not really, no, because of the way I'm working, I'd have to open up this other layer and do this with that. And they went, oh, okay. <laughs> and, went, and I went, fucking hell. It's like, wow. If I draw on a piece of paper, I'm like a child that's doing something. But if I draw on this shiny piece of equipment, that's all digital and so on, people go, oh, wow, this, that's really complicated. Mm. It's the same bloody job. But yeah. all of a sudden, you, you, it was like you were suddenly given respect. I'm going to have you to know, try that one. You're operating machinery now. Got the introverted alpha channel. Oh, mate, <laughs> I would. I, you know what, I would, but my introverted alpha channel is giving me right jip. Just make sure you reverse the polarity. It, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to... Damn it. Um, so the thing you're working on now is... Can you talk about that? The, yeah, the I can, a little bit. Um... Or I will be shot. I'm working, I'm co-directing with Kirk Hendry a feature film of Michael Morpurgo's book, Kensky's Kingdom. So Michael Morpurgo is the guy who wrote War Horse. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And Kensky was actually his best-selling book. And then War Horse came out as a stage play and Spielberg filmed it. And now War Horse is his best-selling book, but Kensky was right. always the sort of favourite for that. Um, and it's a briefly about a kid that's going off on a boating holiday with his parents and gets washed overboard and has to survive on a desert island with a mysterious occupant of the island that he comes across in his adventures. And we're doing this as a fully animated film. It's Sarah Radcliffe Productions, 
who are doing it, and they've joined forces with Lupus um, to co-produce this thing. So at the moment, we're working on doing a, a teaser test section, if you like, to show financiers our vision, um, if you can call it, you know, I don't know what they call it now, how, how the thing looks, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which was similar, or you know, going back to Roger Rabbit days, you know, they did a test show. You, you, you could read the script, but nobody could quite understand what it looked like because it was cutting edge at the time to have animation yeah, yeah, yeah. lit, you know, in live action. So they did a, a 26 second shot um, fully in the, in, the, in the process, you know, to show what it would look like. And mm -hmm. the film then got greenlit on the back of that. So we're doing a very similar thing. We're doing a little teaser thing because we're using quite um, uh, an interesting technique where we're using models and matte paintings and normal paintings and photography and 2D characters all mixed together but in a way that it isn't a mess they all look like they're coherently in one world but you can't quite tell if it's real or whether it's an illustration you know it's quite a magical right. looking thing okay. so and is that using so if you're using a set and you're having to light it you're going to have to do like your Roger Rabbit-y sort of shadow layers and stuff like that. Kind of, but at the moment we're not doing tone mats like we right. do there. We've got a whole different way of of, of lighting stuff. Uh, you know, we're in the process of figuring out a lot of those techniques. But the nice thing about the... That's just the technical stuff, really. The nice thing is that the script has been written by Frank Cottrell Boyce, who writes a lot of movies for originally Michael Winterbottom and, and uh, Danny Boyle. Okay. And he wrote the London Olympics for Danny Boyle. He did all the speeches and stuff. He's wow. a fantastic guy, really good writer. And Kensky's Kingdom started out as a live-action movie, and for various logistical reasons, it couldn't be made in live-action, so we got approached to do it as an animated movie. So the first script we worked with was the live-action script, and we're actually not... You know, we are bringing different ideas to it a little, but essentially what Frank wrote is a terrific thing already. Mm. I mean, it's absolutely one of the best scripts I've ever read. Mm. It's really good. A lot of people love the book anyway, more Pogo's book, but I think mm. Frank did a fantastic adaptation. So it's a really lovely old school adventure story that okay. we're, we're hoping, you know, we'll, we'll, um, like Raiders of the Lost Ark or E.T. or something it would yeah. appeal it's not something adults will get dragged into to take their mm. kids to yeah, yeah. you could go and watch it as an adult or as a kid mm. and it should be equally entertaining mm. for both brilliant yeah. uh, and will do you intend to make it in the UK? as much of it as we can but obviously that a lot of it's reliant on where the final money comes from and so right. on but yeah we're going to try and keep as much here as we can will you animate on it? I doubt Right. I mean, I'd love to, but yeah. I, I've, I've one You've got thing to do one, at least one token <laughs> well, one, one thing token I've learned shot. is... Do the first and the last shot. When you try and be a... And I've done it, but when you try and be a director and an animator, apart from it being a ton of work, you're working in opposite directions all the time. Directing is macrovision. You're looking down over the whole thing, and animating is microvision. And, you know, and you're obsessing over the arc of a fingernail or something. And then if somebody comes up and asks you a question when you're animating, you get really irritable. Leave me alone, you know, because you're trying mm, to... Yeah. So I, 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 I have done it, but I try not to, you know. Right, right, if right. I'm directing, I'd rather be totally on the ball and mm -hmm. be a director. Could you see yourself stepping away from animating and just being a director? No, I can't. Do you know, my big dream would be to direct and to still animate and to do some live action as well, because I find actors really interesting to work with. Uh, any kind of storytelling. Um, 
in a way, you know, what somebody like Tim Burton's done is fantastic. They do a stop motion movie, they go off to a live action movie, mm. do some nice illustrations in the meantime. You know, it's that I love that kind of idea of jumping around from one thing to another, yeah. keeping yourself fresh. Yeah. So we'll see. No, no, fingers crossed. <laughs> you, you actually made um, a film in between this project and Last Bell, right? Is it called Made Up or? Oh yeah. What is that? An animated film? No. Right, it's live action. No, it was funny. It came. It's not out there, folks, at the moment because it, it's done a couple of festivals, and I, I guess it will eventually go online. But it's not even a, a film in the normal sense of the word. What happened was, um, after Last Bell, I thought this is crazy that I've spent <laughs> all this money and fifteen years doing something. And so, like I was just saying, it's always nice to keep fresh. I thought, what's the opposite of that? Well, the opposite of animation is live action. The opposite of 15 years is I'm going to shoot something in one weekend. I didn't have a script. I, mean, I had an idea, but it's not even a story as such. I thought, well, in this day and age, you can shoot a two-minute thing. It's anecdotal. It doesn't mm. need a beginning, middle, and end. It's just mm. a... And I thought, I just want the practice of um, filming something and just mm. getting some practice. And some people saw it and liked it, so I thought, what the hell? And then it got invited into a festival. But all it is, is I, I used to love, um, what, again, it's the second time in this talk I sounded slightly pervy, but, but <laughs> girls putting makeup on on the train, oh, right. you can't perv and stare. But I find it fascinating, something so intricate is done on this kind of moving, wobbling train, you know, yeah. and they're in their own little world, kind of, mm. and I thought, God, this is an amazing thing. And then I thought, Christ, where, 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 where do women learn to do this? You know, I'd, make, I'd come out looking like a clown, <laughs> you know, on, I don't know what, you know, but... Where did they learn to do this? And then I was thinking, um, God, you know, maybe... Anyway, we came up with this idea of a little, of a little girl watching a grown-up woman putting, putting on oh, right, right, right. So I hauled in my family to be in it because they're free and they have to do as they're told. <laughs> and um, Ord Carpentier, who oh, assi yeah. assists me a lot often yeah. on animation, you trained in makeup before she got into animation. So I said, look, do you mind being an actress? And she went, okay, you know. So, oh, Ord's in it. So she's in it. Oh, wicked. And, uh, and we just shot it. We shot it in a, what amounted to a weekend. And oh, wicked. As a, as a, Did your family do everything that you said? No. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> does everything like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I remember seeing... Uh, in the re I only found out just because I was doing a bit of research for the interview, and I was like, Jesus Christ, he banged that one out like after... <laughs> Yeah, well, after we really uh, all those uh, years making the other one, it's such a. I mean, I, I, it was such a great experience just shooting something and getting something quick. Yeah, you know, and 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 I will do it again. But I, I, you know, the next time I will script something and and I was shooting it all and everything, you know. So I would get a cameraman in and do a slightly more thorough, uh, complicated thing, if you like. Yeah. So yeah. you didn't have a DOP or no, a camera I went person. out. We went out and just shot illegally on the tube right. at like seven in the morning. For a couple of mornings. And, what um, camera did you use? I just used a Canon. Um, oh, right, right. 70D or something. Right. And a tripod. No lights, just a reflector. Oh, right, and, really? and And shot it all in black and white, because I like black and white. And uh, I'd be interested to see it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like I said, it's quite an oddball little thing that just did for fun. But, uh, the, and another thing that set me off, I love Jean-Pierre Jeunet, um, the director. Right. did Amélie and so on. Yeah. And I had this weird moment where I, I went through this weird phase in my 20s where I was reading all this kind of philosophy and anthropology and sociology and like lots of people that age I'm trying to find myself and figure out how the world runs and all yeah, that yeah. kind of thing and then I just gave up on it and thought oh, it's chaos you know and and I gave up on all the philosophical thing and I was watching an interview with Jean-Pierre Jeunet and he said 
um, something like the answer to everything is you just make things and you will be happy. <laughs> and it was like being punched in the face. I just yeah. heard this thing, I went, make things and you will be happy. And I've repeated this to all my friends. They go and they're fed up with me telling this story, but I say, that is so brilliant. Yeah. That is so brilliant. That is all it is. That is the answer to everything. It's just make shit. Mm. And if you have no money, make a little piece of shit or make it for yourself or yeah. show it to your friends or show it, put it in a festival. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm. Just make stuff. So what percentage of that 15 years making Last Bell do you think you were happy? All of it. The whole time? <laughs> really? No, I was really happy. Particularly yeah. when they lost all the film, you were over the moon. <laughs> yeah, I was delighted about that. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's all, you know, it's all part of the adventure. The journey yeah. is more important than the destination, right? Yeah, it's a cool story to have, actually. <laughs> like, I didn't even think about it at the time, but, like, it's a really, like, because the film, you know, it doesn't seem like it, it was affected I really, by it. I really it, like the film, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it was very, um, I felt it was, it felt very nostalgic. Yeah. And, like, it did feel like an old... And, a, yeah. and the characters felt like real people, even though they were, they were very cartoony. And yeah, yeah. It didn't yeah. feel childish to me. It felt like, like there was grown-up tones going on in it. And stuff yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in it which you would never know and nobody will ever know that is extremely personally relevant wow. to me. I mean, things you wouldn't believe the significance of. That's why, I mean, it was a very personal thing, but I wouldn't advertise it as a personal because it was dressed up as just a slapstick, mm. slapstick cartoon, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's still fun to do the performance and mm. try and create characters and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. You shouldn't have said that old uh, Jean-Pierre said that. You should have just said, look, guys, look, before <laughs> I leave, just make stuff you'd be happy, all right? And then everyone would have been like, God, that nil, man. What? Because, because there's, <laughs> ju- there's ju- often a lot of kind of like... I know we should wrap up but you know the thing about kind of like I've got this idea and shall I shoot it well do you know what if I shoot it in six months there's this new camera coming out which is much higher definition Mm. and if we wait for that and then that comes out and you go but wait a minute there's going to be this new Mm. lens and then we Mm -hmm. and I've done it as well and you just kind of put off and off and off and in Mm. the end you just go screw it I'll do it on the iPhone then Mm. it doesn't matter but it's the Mm. process of creating something is fine you know Mm. it's just a really nice thing to do yeah I agree yeah All right. well Thanks so much. It's been yeah. mega interesting. Thank you. It's, it's That's nice really, to actually really pr- meet you properly and have a good, yeah, good old no, chat and nice stuff. To, nice to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks for the beer and the conversation. Yeah. Good. See you very much. Bye. Bye.